to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your wonderful goodness and grace and your love. And Lord, we may go through these kinds of challenges that seem so big to us, but we recognize today that we have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, Lord, where many may not even have power. They may draw their water from a well by pumping it. They may have no running water. They may now have no sanitary facilities because you've, this is, but you, but they love you with all their heart. Father, we've had the privilege of meeting some of these people in Mexico and other places in the Dominican Republic. And we've seen their love and their heart towards you and the joy that they have because their joy is not based on all the luxuries and the, and the things of life that we depend on so much. So, Father, help us to be thankful in these times like this where, where our, our electricity is threatened or we lose it or friends of ours or relatives lose it, Lord. Help us to value what we have but to be thankful, Lord, because our, th- our grace, our joy, and our security is not based in our coffee maker or, or, or electric blanket or, or hot water, but it's based in you. And so, Lord, these are times for, for growing. These are times for, for learning. Now, as we turn to your word, Father, we thank you for this is a time to learn also. We thank you that you're a good father and you love us. But because you're a good father and you love us, Lord, you accept us where we are, but you won't leave us where we are. That you will challenge us and encourage us and provoke us if needed to grow. So we may grow and mature into all the image that you have for us. For you have a picture on your refrigerator of us, of what you desire and what you see us to be. And we ask you today, Father, to give us vision, give us hope and give us strength, Lord. As we've come to the end of this time of study, may it not be the end of our time of growth. And we thank you for the grace to do this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can put that picture up. This is our last, uh, last lesson in this series we've been doing on growing up. And the image here is to show really a boy. Of, um, the image that I see here is a man who's, who's got his suit on but we're looking at the inside, he's really little, uh, still a little boy inside. And of course, it could always be a little boy trying to be like his father. And we have a desire to grow and to be like those that are around us as more mature and examples. So we've been talking about growing up, and we've been looking at the principle that's in the Bible already for all, all the way from the beginning to the end. In fact, Jesus said it's the principle on which the kingdom of God operates, which is seed, time, and harvest, sowing and reaping. And we saw that what God does, all the plants grow that way and mature and produce fruit that way. And, he, and each plant and each fruit are the seeds for, for another plant to be, to be sown and to grow and to produce fruit. And that everything that's needed to produce that fruit, everything that's needed to produce that full-blown stalk of corn or that oak tree is contained in that acorn or contained in that kernel of corn. Everything is needed, but it has to be planted in the ground. It has to be watered. It has to be taken care of. And it will produce... In the same way, when we come to Christ, God sows into our souls, sows into us the seed of His life. And just as the seed of a kernel in a kernel of corn, just as the seed of an acorn has in it everything that's needed to produce an oak tree that produces more acorns, in the same way, everything that's needed to produce in you the full-blown image of Christ, which is what we learned last time, the full-blown image of Christ is been sown into you when you receive Christ. But we have to go through a process of growing and maturing. And we looked at the stages because there's stages to spiritual growth. There's stages to emotional growth just as there's stages to physical growth. Infancy, 
childhood, uh, a toddler, childhood, adolescence, and then a full-blown adult. And we talked about how you move through those stages. We talked about the characteristics of those stages. We talked about what's needed in order to grow. We've talked about what's needed for a human being to grow and mature is a loving family that creates an atmosphere where they can be challenged and grow, but also make mistakes and know that no matter what they do, they're going to be loved and accepted in that family and in that home. And that's what's vital and necessary for us to grow and mature emotionally, grow and mature physically. And then we brought that over to the church because the church is the local place that God has ordained for us to grow and mature spiritually, where we can come in here as new believers and, and have people love and accept us and clean up our, help us clean up our messes, where we can have, as we're beginning to step out and walk spiritually, that we can have a, a more mature people around us that can help us when we fall down and skin our knees and encourage us to get up and start toddling again. And all these stages of growth, and we've gone over those. We saw one. T- we spent one Sunday that, for you know, on a family, what's needed is a is a mother and a father. But the father's role is to provide the the the, the strength, the structure, but also the challenge and the and the discipline that's necessary for us to grow. And we saw that in a church. That, that's, that's, that's supposed to be the pastor. Supposed, you need to have a father. And Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and says, you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. A father has a different role. And that's necessary to grow. And then last week we looked at what's this all about? What's, what's the goal that we're to grow into? We saw that that's necessary to not only have a goal, but to know what that is, because God has a goal for your life. He's at work in you, we're going to see it again today, to produce this goal, to produce this image. And we saw it was nothing short of the image of Christ in your life personally and in the church together here at Faith Christian Center and in the church at large that's alive on the earth today. And we're going to conclude today beginning, okay, we've got... We've got God's part. In fact, we'll just begin to get into this. Let's go to... Um, God has a part, we've learned. This is a little bit of review. Philippians chapter 1. God has a part. And that makes everything possible. If God doesn't have a part in this growth and maturing, then it's not going to happen. We saw Philippians 1 verse 6. says, Being confident that He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Being confident of this very thing that He, that's God, who began a good work in you. So God began a good work in you. Ephesians uh, 4.8 says that we are saved by grace. And that's a gift of God. By faith, grace through faith, that's a gift of God. I mean, we're saved, but we're saved by grace unto good works. We're not saved by our good works, but God's perp- one of God's purposes in your life is that His investment in you produces good works, and He's at work in you to do that. But God, a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. He will complete. He will do His part. He will finish His work in you. Whether we like it or not, He will finish His work in you. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. For it is God who works in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. So God has a part. We've learned that the church has a part. The local church has a part. We saw that in Ephesians 4, verse 14 through 16. While they're turning there, we learned, we went back to verse 11, which said, the ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, have been given to the church to equip the saints. That's all of us. 
so we can do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is the building up of the body of Christ. And so we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature person. And then he goes on to say, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro. And we looked about at those characteristics and carried it by, by every wind of doctrine. Brother Doodad's latest doctrine and Sister Whatchamacallit's all over the internet. You know, and to be moved by all those things, this is why you need a local body that you're part of. You need a local shepherd who will protect you. In an emergency, in a danger, the sheep would gather around the shepherd for protection. And Satan picks off sheep that are trying to be out there on their own, thinking, well, I can read my own Bible, I can get, pray my own prayers, I can watch so-and-so on TV, and you're vulnerable. The Bible uses sheep as the, as the symbol for what us, we as Christians are like, members of the body of Christ. And Satan's desire, Satan's scheme, is to pull the sheep away from a shepherd so that they can be picked off on their own. There is a spiritual covering to be under the authority of a God-ordained authority, not the boss around, but it provides protection. And that went over big, but it's the truth. It is the truth. By cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, this is, we may grow up. So one of the means of growing up in a local church is hearing the truth in love. Some of you were raised in churches where you heard truth, but it wasn't given in love. Others out there have been raised in churches where it's all love, but there's no truth in it. It's whatever you meet what's needs to hear so we feel good about ourselves. And that's rampant in the body of Christ today. It's called seeker-friendly. We want everybody to feel good, everybody to feel nice. And we leave feeling nice, and we're way off track. All right. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up on, into all things, even unto Him who is the head, Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body, from Christ, the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You're a joint. Don't smoke a joint, but you are a joint. How come you know what that means? By what every joint supplies, what every member of the body supplies, according to the effective working, working by which every part, you're a part, I'm a part, does its share. So we all have a share for the building up of the body here at Faith Christian Center and together for Faith Christian Center to do its part for the building up of the body of Christ in this area, which is then part of the whole world, church that's in the world today causes the growth of the body for the edifying or the building up of itself in love again. There it is. The root of all of it is in love. Why? Because God is love. God is love. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. We're talking about the body, the, the local church's part. So God has a role to play. The local church has a role to play. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. Let us consider, some translations say provoke, one another in order to stir up love and good works. Why do we have to do that to one another? Because we get lazy. We get forgetful. We get busy doing our own thing because life is very busy now. Satan works very hard to make sure our life is very busy now so that the spiritual things just kind of 
are put to the back burner because the pressures of life are more important. But the pressures of, of the, 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 the spiritual things are eternal. They have an eternal consequence, an eternal reward. The things that take up so much of our time are temporary, short-lived, and they're going to go. I'm telling you, we're just talking the other day. You know, even last year, as you know, we were married 50 years. I have no idea where they went. It feels like 10 years. I turned 73 this year. That doesn't seem possible. I think of myself as about 50. Sometimes I act like I'm three. <laughs> But the reality is, I've lived 72 plus years on this earth. I don't know where it went. It goes like that. It's temporary. All the things you're worrying about are going to be gone in a matter of years. But the things we spend so little time, little effort, little of our faith are eternal. So let us consider, let us provoke, let us encourage one another in order to stir up love and good works. Verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now I know I'm preaching to the choir today because you're here. But the, he's urging you to not forsake the assembling of ourselves online streaming. No, assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. I've shared with you that the average, the, the Barnes uh, uh, Foundation did a survey a number of years ago. And the average, the, the, the Christian that brings their Bible to church, that reads their Bible every day, that says they're a committed Christian, when asked how often do you go to church, the average was twice a month. That's a committed Christian today. And some of them, as a large percentage, was once a month means I'm committed. And yet the vital place, the place that God has ordained for us to be encouraged, the place where God has ordained for us to be strengthened, the place where God has ordained for us to receive correction, because we don't know everything, the place that God has ordained for that to happen is in and through the local church primarily where people can get in your face and ask, how are you today? No, I mean, how are you today? And really care. Over this last week, I have felt God open my eyes to something He's been trying to show me through people that I was talking to and heard something I didn't like. But a Spirit of God began to work on it in me and be like, why don't you like it? Oh, because it's true. <laughs> and I don't want to face it. Some of that was from people in here. Don't even know it. So we need each other. So much the more as you see that day. Notice day has got an initial cap on it. That's the day of Christ's return. And, and I believe it's imminent. I don't know, we're, we're going to kind of get into something this year about discerning the times we're in. Because things are moving so quickly now and it's supernatural. The Antichrist is at work positioning things. So the day of the Lord is coming quickly. There's not a lot of time. There's an urgency. And so we need the, each other to be together, each other, so much more as we see the day approaching. As we see the day approaching. So we've looked at, well, God has His part. We've looked at that. We've looked at the church has its part in our growth. But now we're going to look at what's our role. We're not just to come and say, God, thank you. I'm glad you're at work in me, both to will and to do your good pleasure, that you're going to complete it until the day of Christ. Oh, thank you, God, for my brothers and sisters, because they're helping to me mature. Thank you, Pastor John and Pastor Ray, Kurt, Pastor Ray, Pastor Michael. You're all helping me to mature. Thank you, but I've got just, I just come to church, and I, just, that's, I get it. Thank you, Lord. No, we have a role. We have a role to play. We have a role to play. 
remember, inherent in our human flesh, our fallen flesh, which was deposited in by our, our, our ancient brother Adam. When God showed up on the scene and began to ask questions, Adam, where are you? It's not because God didn't know. He wanted Adam to make a confession of where he was and acknowledge where he was. And he said, I was afraid and I hid because I was naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? And he said, the woman you gave me. (laughs) In other words, there are only three of us here, and I'm the only innocent one, (laughs) you know? It's her fault, but all of it's your fault because you gave her to me. I didn't, wasn't looking for her. You said it wasn't good for me to be alone. And blah, 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 blah. And it didn't cut it with God. So we have a role to play. And we're going to look at that today. We're not just passive victims of circumstances and what others do in our lives. Some of, some, many Christians are in for a rude awakening in that day. Because we're going to show up with a whole list of excuses. Well, it was the way I was raised. My parents didn't do this. The teacher, I didn't get a good teacher in school. I didn't get all these breaks. I didn't get all this stuff. And we're going to try to present all these excuses before truth himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that all of our good works, all of our deeds are going to stand before the fire. And whatever was not of God gets burned off. I believe that's not a blowtorch. I don't believe that Jesus is going to stand there with a heavenly blowtorch and go, and we got this little stick left. I believe it's the eyes of truth. His eyes are like flames of fire. We're going to stand before absolute truth. Billy Graham, whose wonderful celebration over this last week of, of the impact of life and his faithful life. I heard him interviewed once on Larry King, I think it was, and he asked the, the, the question of an evangelist. Well, are you telling me that if every people that, that didn't know Jesus and they don't know Him and they go, they're going to go to hell because they didn't know Jesus? And Billy Graham, he had a wisdom that was just so... He said, well, Larry, I know this much. When each one of us stands before Him and hears His judgment, we're going to know it's true. That's all I know. And He didn't know what to do with that. So my point is, it's truth we're going to be standing in front of. So if you've still got excuses... This is one of my daily prayers. Lord, I want to to walk... I have to walk in truth today. Because I'm going to stand before you one day in truth. I don't want to find out what truth was then. I want to know the truth now. The truth about my attitudes, the truth about my wrong thinking. I want to know whatever truth I need because I want to know it while I'm in this time of grace where I can receive your truth because I want to be able to stand before you and not have surprises. And he will answer that. He answered some of it for me this week. But then we have to... We'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. So we're not just passive victims. This is good for you. <laughs> this is good for us. Amen? 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 Amen. 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 All right. Okay. We had Brussels sprouts last night, and 
My son was re- asking me about them. I said, those are, those are some of the, the vegetables my mother made me eat. I, oh, I thought they came from hell. I knew they came from hell. <laughs> and I'm, I was convinced that, that hell, you had, hell was you got to eat Brussels sprouts. And the other was lima beans. I had to eat at least one Brussels sprout and one lima bean. And I was raised, I was raised right outside of Philadelphia, and the, and the lima beans came from South Jersey. South Jersey's mostly soil is sandy soil. And I'm telling you, the lima beans are that big. They'll kill you. I knew they would. But she made me eat them. Though I still can see some staring contests I had with that lima bean. And I was sitting there till like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And I see that I'm going to sit there all night looking at that lima bean. It's not going anywhere or I'm going to have to eat the thing. I knew if I swallowed it, I'd choke to death. I was convinced of it. But I'm alive. And I love lima beans today. I love those Brussels sprouts were so good. I love them today. Why? Because she made me eat something that was good for me that I didn't think I could eat because I didn't like, just because I didn't like it. And there's many things in the Word of God we don't swallow, we don't want to hear them because we don't think we're going to like them, but they're the very thing that's good for them. This is why you have to be part of a local church. And could you, today you've got to hear something you may not want to hear. If you were watching on TV, you could change to some other preacher and hear something you want. But when you're part of a church, you may stick your ears in it, but you've got to hear it. But it's out of love. Because I've got to stand before God for you. For whether I loved you and told you the truth, you've got to stand for what you do with it. And we will have to stand. So I'd rather hear that now than find out later. Okay. So we have a role to play. Philippians chapter 2, we've already looked at this. Verse 12. This is the verse that goes before verse 13. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. You know, the real sign of somebody's heart is what do we do when nobody's looking? It's one thing when your kids are obedient and, and, you know, when you're around, but what do they do when you've taken them? I'll never forget taking our youngest two to college. They were twins, still are twins, and they were in the same college on the same dorm floor. And I get them there, we, you know, 18 years of investing in them, and now we're walking out and leaving them in the hands of a bunch of other 18-year-olds. And I don't know any of them. And I'm getting on that plane and fear starts to grip my heart and I realize we've got to trust two things. We've got to trust God and put Him in His hands and then we've got to trust what we put in them, God will bring back to their remembrance. And God's faithful to do that. How did I get on that? Oh, in your app. So I had to trust what they're going to do when I can't see them. Okay. Not as in my presence only, but now my... Work out your own salvation. That needs some explaining. Notice it doesn't say work out your spouse's salvation. Notice it doesn't say work out your neighbor's salvation. Whose salvation am I responsible to work out? Mine. Now what does that mean? Does this mean I've got to work for my salvation? No. Work it out. I told you that your salvation was sown in you by a seed. When you received Christ, the seed of life, the seed of God's... God's nature, God's character, the power of the Holy Spirit was sown into you. But it has to be worked out. God is at work in you. We're going to see that in a minute. But you have a part to play in working it out. So with fear and trembling, why Why with fear and trembling? What does that mean? That doesn't sound too exciting. Go back to verse 13. 
For it's God who works in you. So Paul is saying, recognize God's at work in you. God's invested in you. God cares about you. God has something that's critical to what He wants to do in you and through you. And it's not just about you. It's about the people God has ordained for your life to impact. And you impact people you don't even know you impact. People watch you when they know you're a Christian. The law firms I worked in, people watched how I handled situations. I was blessed. The senior partner of the last law firm I worked in called me last week after almost 19 years just to... He said, I was thinking of you. I remembered you. When I went to retire and come on staff here, they wouldn't take my keys back, hoping I would come back and work for them. There was a favor there. It impacted them. And, and I did a Bible study there, but they weren't coming to the... The lawyers weren't coming to the Bible study. But there was something about me. It wasn't me. It was Christ in me. It had an impact on people. So God has, a, has a, a purpose for your life that's beyond you. Beyond just how well you're going to enjoy your life. Where other souls, the eternal destiny of other souls, rests on whether we do God's will or not. So this is one of the reasons it's so important to God. You're so important to God. And this is why Paul says, so I've got to work it out. We've got to work it out with fear and trembling because there's a lot at stake in whether I grow up or not. It's not just a nice blessing you can have. Jesus may well be standing on the edge, ready to come. And there are things God wants to do and people God wants to reach. And we're just still sucking our thumb. Playing, playing with dolls. And there's a grown-up work to do. I've felt God lately. I've walked through here, just, you know, had a physical challenge last week and this kind of thing like that. And it's starting to feel sorry for myself. And I just heard, I went right about here. Grow up. It's amazing. Your own, per, own, own preaching comes back at you. I can't argue with it, can I? You need to grow up about that. There's something to do. You need to grow up and get over it. So it's 72, I'm still growing up. For, okay, so, so we have to work it out. What that means is we have to take, cooperate with God and take what God's put in us and help bring it to the, work it to the outside. We'll talk about how to do that in a minute. 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. But in a great house... Now he's going to use the symbolism of, of cups and saucers. There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. The vessel talks about what you can put in it. Obviously you put something more valuable in a vessel of gold or silver. The wood and clay is your average dishes. And some for dishonor, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone, say anyone... It's the, that, that means it's up to you and it's up, up to me. It's not saying God has ordained some of you to be gold vessels. God has ordained some of you to be silver and some of you are just clay pots. And that's just the way it is. No, no. If anyone cleanses himself, if anyone, that means it's up to me. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that's, that's, that's uh, um, stuff we shouldn't be doing. He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. We choose what kind of vessel we are by whether we allow God to help us grow up 
Because the master wants to present gold vessels to some, not cracked pots. For every good work. Okay. All right. So what, how do we do this? What is our role? How do we do this? And there are a lot of things we could look at. But I'm just going to focus on really two primary things. And the first, obviously, is the Word of God. This is, God has given us to the church. You, you hear me pray this so often. God has given to the church. He knows what He's doing. Anybody agree with that? Some of you aren't so sure this morning. God knows what He's doing. Sometimes we look at ourselves and question it. Uh, do you? He knows what He's doing. What He's given to the church is what we need. No more, no less. And He's given us the Word, the Word of God. And He's given us the Spirit of God. And when they work together, they will produce the fruit of God in our lives. So the first thing we're going to look at is the Word God. You cannot grow apart from the proper role of the Word of God. The Bible says it is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. In Genesis 2-7, God breathed in this pile of flesh and He became a living soul. God's breath brought Him alive. Jesus said, "These My words are spirit and they are life. God's Word is filled with His life. It's like no other book. There are many books about God's Word. There are many books based on God's Word. But the only book that is God breathing into your soul, into your life, into situations, is this book. And it's not the pages of this book. It's the Word of God that's contained in this book. So it's what we do with that word that is so critical. And, and Jesus in his parable that he taught about the sermon, about, the, about the, the, the sower sows the seed, and we'll look at that briefly. He said the, the, the seed, the king, heaven operates on this principle. The seed gets sown, and then immediately Satan comes to steal it. So what is Satan coming to try to steal right now? is the Word of God from not getting sown in your hearts, in our minds, in our hearts. Satan comes to steal. Why? Because he knows that's where the life is. That's where the power is. It's God-breathed. And it's God-breathing directly into your life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit... In sincere love of the brethren, love another fervently with a pure heart. Next verse. Having been born again, so he's talking to people that are born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. So you were born again through the living Word of God. Somehow you heard the Word whether it was a preacher here on television, whether it was something you... I've known of stories of people where tracks were torn up and thrown on the ground and people got saved because they found a portion of John 3.16. It's the Word of God is incorruptible. And we were born again by that Word and it lives and abides forever. Next verse. Because all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers and falls away. So everything else falls away, it burns away. But the Word of God endures forever. Now this is the Word by which the gospel was preached to you. Go ahead. Therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Next verse. As newborn babes desire the pure or sincere milk of the Word 
that you may grow thereby. Next verse. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So you were born again by receiving the word. It may not have been a direct quote, but somehow you received the word. When you go to share Christ with somebody, what brings them to Christ or what they reject is the word of the gospel, the word of truth. Okay. So, if that's how we're saved, and that's how we grow, Peter's telling us that the Word of God is the food by which we grow. Same example. My body is alive today and has come to this size (laughs) and this height because of the food I ate. And the more you eat, the bigger you get. You need food for health in your body. But food gets transferred once it's purified and the nutrients are taken out into into your body, into your bones, your muscles, your blood, the different cells of your body. So the physical food is what we need to live by and you'll go on a fast, you'll find out how much your body depends on it. By the way, you can live through a fast. But it involves several aspects. We're going to look at how you get the Word in you. Because I think most of us think, well, that means I've got to read the Word every day. Pastor, I read the Word every day. That's good. You should read the Word every day. And we should read it, though, purposefully. Read it to know what's in it. Read it to be familiar with it. It's good to read it all the way through, even the begats and the begots and the begots. Read read on through it. You can skip that part, but you read it. Every day. You need to have a habit in your life. I don't even think. I get up, I get my Bible, and I sit down, and I spend time in the Word. And now I put earphones on, and I listen to some worship, and I just quiet out, and I want to learn to get quiet inside and listen, so that when I open the Word, it can begin to speak to me, and let God speak to me. But you need to set an appointment. I want to get off into this. We don't have the time to do it. You need to set an appointment with God every, every day. The best time part of your day. My best time is when I first get up before everything else comes in on me. Set an appointment. If you had an appointment with your doctor, you'd keep it. If you had an appointment for a job interview, you'd keep it. God wants to have an appointment with you every morning. He's waiting. And He's the one that knows everything you're going to go through. He has every answer you need. He has all the wisdom you need. He is your, your provision, your grace, your protection. And we give Him so little attention. One of the things that cha- transformed my life was something Pastor Sam said. He said, when, I get, he said, when you get up in the morning and you don't bother to pray or to read your Bible, what you're basically saying is, God, I don't need you today. I'll take care of today on myself. If I get in trouble, I know where to find you. From that time on, I developed this habit. See, this is not going to happen by doing it every once in a while, when it's convenient. So reading it makes us familiar with it. But reading is not enough. Reading it is to your soul like putting food in your mouth is to your body. You can taste it. You can taste whether it's, you know, whether those eggs, that that, that omelet this morning was good, or you can taste where... mm, It wasn't quite so good or something's off in there. And you can get an experience of that omelet or 
I better not go to cheesecake or other things like that. I may lose you. You can experience some food in your mouth, but it won't do you any good unless you do what? Come on. You've all eaten something before, haven't you? Swallow it. It won't do any good tasting it. You have to swallow it. So just reading the Word is tasting what's in there. It's experiencing it. It's like many of us do in church. We get an experience of something and walk back out into life as if with no change. God spoke to Ezekiel at the end of chapter 33, somewhere in there, and said, this is what it's like. He said, they come and hear your messages, and they leave and say, wasn't that wonderful message? And, and to bring it into modern parlance, he said, it's like somebody's having gone to a concert and said, wasn't that a great concert? We had a great experience. But it doesn't change them. Why? Because they didn't come with the intention of being changed by the Word. So what do we do? How do we get that Word in it? It's called meditate. The most important thing you never ever need to learn to do with the Word, aside from being diligent to do it every day, is to meditate on it. And sometimes I'll just take one verse, and I may meditate on that same verse all week. If it really goes off in me, then that's the Holy Spirit saying, this is where I want your attention. And we can look at, well, I've read that before. Well, then you have never really heard it. Because this is alive. It'll speak to you every day. There's so many of these verses I've read so many times, I know them by heart. I don't memorize Scripture. It's a good thing to do, because most of these I've gone over so many times, they just come out of me. In fact, some of these come out of me in New, in new American Standard, because I had a, that's what I used for so long. But you've got to meditate on it. The problem is, I know them so well, I can say them without thinking about them. So how do you meditate? It's real easy. If you can worry, you can meditate, because worrying is meditating. It's just meditating on the devil's lies. Meditate is when you roll it around in your mind. The word actually means to mutter. It's you talk to yourself about it. What does this word mean? Begin to project it. But it's chewing on it. It's thinking about it and inviting the Holy Spirit to help you do that. It's vital. The reason a lot of people that, 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 that are standing for results and healing or finance or something of God and they don't see them is they're reading the Word. They've got scriptures all over their cars and refrigerators and all that stuff. That doesn't earn anything. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and do not doubt, it's got to go that 18 inches from up here to dropping down in here. And when it drops down in your heart, you know it. You know that word is alive. You know what that word means. You, it becomes part of you just like that food becomes part of you. Meditate. It makes it part of you. One of the ways to know what's part of you is when some crisis comes up, what you lose your power. <laughs> What is it comes out of your mouth? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you stub your toe in the middle of the night or you hit your finger with a hammer. Meditation makes the Word part of you. And this is where so many believers fall. They don't take the time to meditate. The Word of God in you is not complete unless it's been swallowed, meditated upon. James chapter 1. Then the next thing you've got to do. It's not enough to meditate on it. James chapter 1. So then, beloved brethren, so he's talking to Christians, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Whoa. That would turn a lot of relationships around. 
See, one of the signs of a mature Christian is we're very easy to hear, listen, but we're very slow to speak. But most of us are willing to share our, give a piece of our mind away very quickly when we can't afford to lose any more pieces. Let every man be swift to hear, quick to hear, and slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's a good formula for staying out of strife. Because most arguments with a marriage are, are, are already prescripted. She says two words, you know what she's going to say, so you give your three cents back, and she already responds to this, and somebody else that doesn't know the script is going to look at it, what just happened here? But it's a, it's, a, it's a play that's been rehearsed over and over again. Nobody's listening. We were taught some principles about listening in a, in a marriage program we went through. And they said one of the ways to know that you're listening to the other person is they'll know when you're listening to them. You think you're listening, but they'll know when you're listening because they can feel the connection. And you're not listening if you're thinking of the answer while they're talking. Because if I'm thinking of the answer while they're talking, two things. That means I think I know what she's going to say, and I'm not listening to what she says because I already know the answer. Oh, this is really popular today. <laughs> but we do this with God. Well, I've heard this before. So I've trained myself. When I react that lot, I make myself listen to it because there's something in there that the devil is trying to rob me of. It was somebody I was listening to the other day. It was like, all these, well, they talk too fast. They're not enunciating. All these thoughts, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. That means the devil's trying to keep me from hearing what that person has for me. I'm going to listen to two messages then. Okay. Next verse. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's a series right there. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive, receive with meekness the implanted word. So the word has to be received, and it's received with meekness. It's in the, in the symbol of the soil, in this parable of the soil, one of the soils was, was very hard, so it, it didn't take, the, the seed didn't take root in it. And others, it, it was soft enough to take root in it, but there were many other things in there. There were rocks and clogs in that, clods in that. So it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't take root very deeply. So how deeply that word roots in you depends on how meek you are with it. Meek does not mean weak. Meek means you're open to hear what it has to say to you. You're correctable. When you get to the place where you're not correctable, you're in trouble. I don't care how old you are. Which is able to save your soul. He's not talking about whether you're going to heaven or not. He's talking about maturing. The Word of God if it's received with meekness, is able to bring you maturity into your life. Verse 22. But here's the key. This is the third thing. So the first thing is you've got you've to read the Word. The second is you've got to meditate on it. But now you've got to be a doer of it. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. That verse gets me so much. It's one thing to, for the devil to deceive me. It's one thing for let you deceive me. It's another thing if I purposely deceive myself. So James is saying, and by or James was the half-brother of Jesus. James is saying to us here, if you hear the word and you do not there go for put it into practice in your life, you are deceiving yourself. How are you deceiving yourself? Well, I asked the Lord that one, that one day. And this is what he showed me. 
He said, because when you hear the word, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word. So we get faith that things can change. Maybe you're struggling this morning with some issue in your life. Maybe it's healing and the worship today gave you hope. Maybe it's you're struggling in relationships or just struggling in your walk with God and the Word's giving you hope and we get encouraged by the Word. That's what I need to do. There's my answer. This is what the problem was. This is the answer. And we, that gives you hope and we leave. But if we don't leave and put it into practice, we, we mistake that hope for change. And Ed Cole, who was a great minister of men's meetings, says, change is not change until you change. So the way we become deceived by hearing the Word and not doing it is we think that the effect, the hope, the encouragement, the challenge, the correction that, that hearing that Word has done for us is the same as actually changing. And it's not. Deceiving our own selves. Keep going. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Verse 24. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, he will be blessed and what he does. So we have to read the Word, we have to meditate on the Word, and then we have to exercise the Word. You have to put the food in your mouth, you have to chew it up and swallow the food, and then you need to exercise if you're going to be strong and healthy. You need to use the strength that that food is intended to produce. Go back to verse 24. Oh boy. So, the Word of God is a mirror that you look in. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but I assume most of you, when you got ready today, you looked in a mirror. Why? Because you want to make sure your, I don't know, understand all this, that your eyes are on right or whatever, that your hair's right, you want to make sure, you know, there's not something stuck in your teeth. You want to know, you want to know what you're going to look like to everybody that comes in the door and sees you, okay? And so that mirror reflects back to you whatever you put in front of it. So if what you put in front of it has hair going like that and you know your eyebrows like this and your eyelashes are down like that, that's what you're going to see. It will tell you the truth. It will tell you exactly whatever you put in front of it. But here he's talking about the mirror being God's Word. He said, and if you look in that mirror and then you don't act on what you see, you'll forget what you see. Think about somebody that... I was doing this the other day. Some, it was that old law partner. I was trying to picture his face, and I can't picture it. it was, I haven't seen him in... Well, he helped us with the one... Tra- I haven't seen him in like 12 years. So I don't... I, I really can't grasp... I can't bring up the memory. I've got a general outline of his form, but it's hard because I haven't seen him lately. So when you stop seeing something, it begins to fade away. And that's true when you just hear the Word, when you look in the Word, but then you don't act on it. Next verse I want to look at that shows us this is James chapter 2, verse 14. You learning anything? I mean, this is stuff I've learned to talk before. I need to hear it again, because we leak. 
I've eaten steak before and I'll eat steak again just because I ate steak. Because, well, I mean, I've eaten that. I don't need to eat it anymore. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Some people misunderstand this. Can faith save him? It means can faith alone save him? Say, well, brother, I believe in Jesus. I believe I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I believe what the Word of God says. I believe the Word of God. Great. Can that save you alone? Verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked, now he's going to use an example to show us that in real life, we know that doesn't work. So if you see a brother or sister and he's naked or is destitute of daily food, verse 16, and one of them says to you, depart and be at peace, be warmed and be filled, but you don't give him the things that are needed for his body, what does that profit? In other words, you find somebody that's obviously hungry and, you're, and, you know, and, and, and they, say, they say, what do you need? I'm hungry, I'm starving, I need a thing. Well, be blessed. We believe God's going to help feed you and take care of you. And you have the means to, to, to meet their need? What kind of faith is that? It doesn't show up in your works. What he's saying, your faith, what you believe, should show up in your actions. In fact, what you do believe will show up in your actions. So if you want to know what you believe, look at your actions, not at the intentions of your heart. What does that profit? So faith by itself... Thus, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, faith without corresponding actions is useless. So if we read our Bible, we meditate on that word, we chew it, get it down inside, but we don't act on it, it's useless. Acting on it is what releases it. Go on. Someone will say, you have faith. And I have works. Well, I say, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now he's going to use an example. This is what I want to get to. Verse 19. You believe there's one God. You do well. Praise God. We believe. How many believers do we have here this morning? Oh, we need an altar call at the end of this. My goodness. Even the demons believe. And tremble. That puts them ahead of most Christians. They have a fear of God that Christians don't have. Don't you know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Here's the example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? This is so important. You see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect. Stay there a second. The example he's using is Abraham. I don't have time to go through the whole story. But God taught Abraham how to exercise his faith. God made a promise to a man who was too old to have children, and his wife, who was not only too old, she was barren, and said, I'm making a promise to you that through a child born of the two of you, you will become the father of many nations. And it was a 25-year process to get Abraham to believe God. And Isaac's finally born, a supernatural conception, a supernatural birth. And when Isaac gets to be probably the age of a young man, God speaks to him and says, I want you to take their son, your only son who you love, and I want you to take him to a place I'm going to show you, and there I want you to make a burnt offering sacrifice of him. And Abraham got up early the next morning, and he went three days' journey to go there. It was a test of his faith. And he ties the boy up, lays him down on the altar, and he raises his hand to bring the knife down, and an angel speaks to him and tells him to stop. He says, Now I know you reverence me. See, God knew what was in his heart all along. 
But in order for that faith in God, that trust in God, it takes trust in God to take what God's made you believe Him for and then give it back to Him, especially if it's your only son. And trust that son back to God. Because Hebrews 11 says, He believed that if necessary, God would raise him back up from the dead because He made a promise that through that boy, you'll be the father of many nations. But now His faith had been tested and proven out because He had obeyed God under the most demanding circumstances and it hatched or released His faith. And this is where most of us fall short. We have to act on our faith. The last thing we're going to talk about, there's some things, other things we could talk about is in Matthew 13, we're not going to have time to go there, it's the story of the parable of the sower. So we're talking about the Word of God. You have to read it, you have to meditate on it, then you have to act on what, you, on what you've meditated, on what you see. But in, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about how we hear the Word. And I think it's over in Luke's verse, he says, take care how you hear. Also says, take care what you hear. Because you can... This is what the Lord's impressing me. He says, son, you're listening, but you're not hearing. All right, kids, it's time to fix your, clean your room up and go to bed. I said, it's time to clean your room up. They heard what you said. The words, they listened, but they didn't hear. It didn't register. My mother used to say, well, go in one ear and out the other. And since it's the Word that causes, allows God to produce His life in you, the devil's going to try to keep you, first of all, from listening. And if he can't keep you from listening, he's going to try to keep you from hearing. Hearing is when you... Hearing means I've received that word into me with the intention of having it make its effect on me, my life. With the intention of, of applying it in my life. See, if we just... If the, word, if, we, if the words go in our ears and we don't have the intention of applying it, we're only listening, we're not hearing. Are you hearing now? So we can listen and not hear. And Jesus says here, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the churches. That's in, in Revelation. And Jesus says, to him who has, more will be given. To him who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. That sounds terrible. What he's saying is, he who has ears to hear, what he, he'll have more, he'll end up with more, he'll get more and more revelation, more and more understanding, more and more of the Word God. But he who does not have ears to hear, even what he has heard, the devil will take away from you. So we have to purposefully listen with the intention of hearing. We're going to have to end it here. There's more, there's more that we could go. I, want to, I just want to call your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We're not going to go there. But, but here's one of the important things. He says, We are transformed from one level of glory to another by looking in, at Christ. See, whereas, the, whereas the, the mirror in your home reflects back whatever you put in front of it, the mirror of God's Word reflects back to you what God sees of you, not what you put it. And it has the power. You change that mirror, the image in the mirror, by what you put in front of it. This Word changes you 
by the image it puts in front of you. Write that down. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We're transformed from one level of glory to the other by, by looking at the image of Christ. The more you look at Him, and I'll end with this quote. It's from, it's from St. Augustine. He says, With natural food, what you put in your mouth becomes part of you. With Jesus, what you put in you becomes part of Him. With natural food, what you put in you becomes part of you. But St. Augustine says, but with the food, with the spiritual food, what you put in you makes you more like, becomes part of Him. I am the food, this is the Word of God speaking, I am the food of strong men. Grow, and you shall feed upon me, nor shall you convert me or change me like the food of your flesh into you, but you shall be converted into me. This is the Word of God. He's, he's speaking as if it were the Word of God.